Diversion Audio. Welcome back to Dear Skylar, where I talk to all kinds of amazing people about topics that I'm commonly asked about as a transgender educator and advocate. Things like gender and race, sexuality, sports, mental health, and so many things in between and beyond. At almost every speech I give, especially at elementary and middle schools, I get asked by a kid something along the lines of, do you feel like you belong? Have you found happiness? Do you feel like people accept you? Have you been accepted, Skylar? And all of this revolves around, I think, a very central question, which is, how do we find belonging without conforming? And that second part, I think a lot of people then assign to people who have different identities, perhaps trans people, queer people, people of color, and so on. But I think everybody has been at war with belonging at some point, right? Everybody, including you, listener here today, you felt like you didn't belong at some point in some space for some reason. And that's because belonging is a very central human desire. It's actually the thing that's allowed us to survive in so many ways. But in a very globalized society where how we look, how we act, how we talk, the money that we use, where all of these things are very standardized, sometimes that also standardizes how we present ourselves and who we are, or at least who we think we are. I think that sometimes society can trick us into thinking we have to be these standardized versions of ourselves in order to belong, when the reality is that many of us would be much more happy if we allowed all parts of ourselves, all of our authenticity into our daily lives. But the question is, how do we do that and risk conforming, right? How do we do that and feel like we belong? To address this question, how do we find belonging without conforming, I spoke with my friend Addison Rose Vincent, they them, a consultant and trainer with their business Break the Binary LLC that provides love, inclusion, educational training to businesses, schools, and organizations all around the world. They're also a social media influencer at Break the Binary. They run the nonprofit History Reimagined, and they're on the board for LA Pride. Addison is an all-around amazing human, and I'm so excited to invite you into this conversation. Here we go. We've talked about this before uh, when I talked to you about some other project I was working on. Mm -hmm. You were talking about how you have spent time in your life taking away parts of yourself walking through the world, whether that be how you present, you know, what you wear, whether or not you shave your beard, whether or not you dress a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, And the amount that you have to think, and that I think a lot of trans people, especially trans femmes, have to think about how they present themselves in the world, I think is striking. Um, and and I think not everybody quite understands that. So I was wondering if you could talk about that, even just like you're wearing, you know, these beautiful golden yellow, I don't know what color you'd call it, um, <laughs> pants and shoes that match, which is amazing. Yeah, um, that was and, my you know, too. <laughs> you've got these these hoop earrings and, and you just, you're like, you look so put together to me. And that like struck me when I saw you this, this, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time. This afternoon, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was wondering if you could just talk about getting dressed this morning and and like how you think about getting dressed what you consider it's a very open and sort of big question but i'm curious about that yeah um yeah just the way that we express ourselves is so important Mm -hmm. um and at the same time it's i think that we end up putting a lot of pressure on ourselves Mm. to figure out how we want to present ourselves to the world to be seen as ourselves at the end of the day for me it's coming to terms with recognizing and understanding that going out to the world, there's going to be so many people who don't understand mm. who we are, mm-hmm. won't respect us, mm. won't see us. And that's okay mm. because we know who we are. Mm. Um, so for me, when I go into my closet, 
and I'm looking at items, I figure, okay, this one brings, brings me joy today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear this outfit. Mm-hmm. Or this piece looks good with this piece. And for me, having the body that I have after, you know, being on hormones for now, wow, I think six years mm-hmm. and having surgery, having facial hair, long hair, mm-hmm. all this combined, you know, for me, I just feel myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like me. And it's been a journey in itself. I think that when I was first coming out as trans and non-binary, this is back in 2013, mm. I felt an incredible amount of pressure to mm. express myself in a more gender binary way. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I would shave my face. I was wearing a lot of makeup. Mm. Um, I tried to dress as feminine as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, even though I was identifying as non-binary, I felt that expressing myself in a gender non-conforming way, mm-hmm. in a way that was maybe androgynous, mm-hmm. um, I was going to receive a lot, a lot of pushback, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I still do to this day. Sure, um, but at that time, I wasn't as confident, mm. and I didn't have as much support mm-hmm. either. I was in Orange County; I was like the mm-hmm. only openly trans and non-binary person mm-hmm. on my college campus mm-hmm. at that time, and. I also felt that there was a matter of like uh, respectability politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like people would respect you more. They would welcome you into certain mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. They would listen to you better if you looked like you were conforming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I deal with. And so to this day, I feel like uh, um, sometimes pressure to shave mm-hmm. my face. Um, sometimes I feel pressure to actually identify as a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people within and outside the community that tell me, you have to choose. Mm, mm-hmm, so that's something mm-hmm. that's been really tough. Yeah, yeah. I rambled for a bit. No, no, so. you did great. As you were talking about pressure to shave your beard, I was admiring how how nice it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I, you know, you, you've manicured it well. I think it looks beautiful. And manicured. I think I was thinking about the word beard and beauty put together mm. and how for me that feels like natural to say, but I think it's because I've been in this community. I've been exposed to lots of different people in the community. Um, and at the same time, I think that's not sort of a standard in our society of considering beards as beautiful. Right. Um, or just like as expansive as not just for men and 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 a certain type of man too. Right, right. So I'm I, that struck me because I I would love to invite other people into what it feels like to expand our concepts of what hair on our face could mean, right? Length of hair and all these kinds of different right. things. And I'm wondering how you kind of walk through that journey on your own, because it sounds like at the beginning, it wasn't something you were able to see as part of your, and beauty doesn't have to be the word you use, but right. it, it wasn't part of how you walked through the world in a, in a, how do I say this? At the beginning, it was something you hid and you changed. Yes. Um, and it sounds like that's not it looks like that's not where you are now and how did you make that shift and i hear that it's part of it was you know not caring necessarily but what but about what other people think but like how <laughs> like how do you get there you know yes uh, great questions um with my beard i want to say back in 2013 when i was first mm-hmm. coming out mm-hmm. um i was shaving constantly because i mm-hmm. felt like i needed to hide it in mm-hmm. order to conform and right. respectability politics right? Right, right but all along I was always curious about what I would look like with a beard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just kept having this feeling that like, I I wanted to try it out. I wanted mm-hmm. to grow it out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 2016, I went home for a summer to Michigan with my mm-hmm. family and I was staying with them for a couple months. And I decided to just let it grow up. Mm-hmm. And I loved how it looked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was doing some job interviews mm-hmm. back here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I felt within myself 
that I would not be accepted as mm. a trans person, mm. accepted as a person even, mm-hmm. if I had my beard and the body that I was having mm-hmm. and the long hair mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So I shaved. And I continued to shave um, because I felt that now that I was presenting myself as this in my interviews mm-hmm. and I was presenting myself when I was coming back to Los Angeles, that I needed to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And then I started hormones in 2017. My body was shifting and changing. Mm-hmm. I felt I was becoming more feminine in my in my mm-hmm. own eyes. Mm-hmm. And the, fir- the more that I became feminine in that sense with my body, this part of myself was like I feel like I'm I'm getting away from mm. this androgynous gender non-conforming part of my mm-hmm, side mm-hmm, too and mm-hmm. I need to nourish that mm. so it wasn't until 2019 mm-hmm. that I left some of my nonprofit jobs and I was like I'm done kind of playing this respectability game mm. I'm done trying to look how other people want me to look mm-hmm. I'm gonna grow up my beard and I had a lot of people at initially being like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> like this looks so weird i had a, mm. a few friends that were really excited mm. but i was really mostly inspired by another friend of mine who's mm. non-binary with a beard mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. their name is luna mm-hmm. gorgeous person mm. and super confident and has mm. been rocking a beard and mm. being feminine in, in their expression mm-hmm. for many years before mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. so when i saw that they could do that mm. i was like i can do that too mm-hmm. i can finally mm-hmm. let this happen and I did. And mm. I've loved having my beard. Mm. I think that it's really, I think it's filled in really nicely, like you said. I think it has. I think <laughs> it, I, I'm a little jealous, I have to be honest. I actually have a lot of trans, trans guys who will sure. come up to me and they'll be like, oh, I wish I had your beard. And they're like, I'm yeah, sure. I'm it's sure a whole it's one of those things. <laughs> but, you know, it's actually funny that you brought up, you know, trans masculine, like, you know, folks who want mm. to have facial hair because mm-hmm. there is a sense of like, if I have a beard, I'll be accepted more as mm-hmm. a man, as a masculine person, I'll be read more that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting when there's that understanding sometimes within our community that a beard is associated with masculinity. Sure. And so when I have that, that on my face with my body and stuff too, people are like, what is going on? <laughs> but I love I it. I love it. I, I love that too. I, I actually don't mind leaving people confused sometimes mm. too. Sometimes they need a little bit of confusion, you know? Yeah. But when you said earlier too, like you've been exposed to so many people of all different expressions in the mm-hmm, community mm-hmm. and maybe for a while now, mm-hmm. I think a lot of mainstream America hasn't. Mm-hmm. A lot of communities out there haven't been exposed to people like us. Mm-hmm. And I want to say too that at first, if I were to see someone like me within my own community, if mm-hmm. I was just entering, mm-hmm. I might even be a little bit resistant. Mm-hmm. I might mm-hmm. even want to tell that person, you look better without a beard, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it took me time to unlearn sometimes my own, I guess, transphobia. Yeah. Maybe my, my, own, my own binarism. I don't mm-hmm. know what you would call mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, misogyny i think to some degree yeah, uh, yeah yeah and also understanding too that like facial hair has no gender i think alok talks a lot about this too sure, you know sure. body hair um, doesn't determine gender fashion mm-hmm. doesn't determine gender and thinking about how so many cis women you know have facial hair body hair yeah so many cis men maybe also grow breast tissue or mm-hmm, other you know mm-hmm. larger hips whatever mm-hmm. that be you know there's no one type of body mm-hmm. or you know, facial hair kind of thing too, to associate with a certain gender. It's, yeah. it's open. Well, I think it's one of those things where transphobia actually hurts cis people too, because oh, yeah. their bodies don't also fall on these like, t- like very, very narrow categories that yeah. is not only transphobic, but they're also usually misogynist and also racist and all these Oof. other things. And so it's so interesting to me when I think about trans liberation, especially with bodies 
in this case, beards, but just all of our bodies, there's so much more there for everybody if we don't put people in these little boxes. But yeah. Um, one of the things I, was, I, I wanted to ask you also about, you've mentioned it a few times, is the concept of people telling you that, especially within the community, right? Mm. Of course, I've, you know, I think we'd expect that cis people would say, oh, you would look better without a beard, what have you, but because they're in that world. But trans people, you know, that, that always strikes me when we pull ourselves down, you know, the crabs pulling people out of the barrel. But I don't see it as someone pulling us right. down. I, know, I see so it as to... more survival. Yes. It's more like, I think that they're trying to pull us up. Mm. You know, I'm trying to say like, hey, babe, mm. like mm-hmm. you might be able to access more resources, mm. be, be more successful in life, mm. maybe happier, have a partner mm-hmm. if you do these things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's usually the messaging that they received right. from someone else. And then that person was probably also informed that way. Yeah. And it becomes this kind of like intergenerational aspect mm-hmm. within our own communities of how do you survive as a trans person in this world? Yeah. And so I don't always get disrespected. I don't mm-hmm, feel disrespected mm-hmm. when people say that from within the community. Mm-hmm. Outside the community, that's sure. a whole other thing too, right? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And sometimes they also think that they're being, you know, trying to help us yeah, too. Yeah. Um, but again, those are microaggressions. And if it's coming from within the community, I just sometimes I don't see it as a personal thing for me. Mm-hmm. I actually think about, wow, this person in front of me was probably taught that. And mm. maybe they're also denying the ways that they could mm. express themselves too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, I don't know, our community, I think at the end of the day, underneath everything is rooting for each other. Mm-hmm. We love each other. Mm. Um, sometimes it's just not expressed always in the best ways and that's okay. I love that you're able to receive it with love because I think m- many people might not. And I think there's a lot of pain there, especially yeah. in how much you, I'm imagining you've grown to be able to accept yourself in all of the ways that you are. And I think that, you know, for me, the, the this is not the same, but I've had experience. So my, my, my mastectomy scar, my chest scar is very big. It's also very thick and, mm. um, and it's also sort of dark colored. It's like dark purple. And if I'm cold, it's even darker. Cool. Um, so very, very like prominent, right? When I first got the, the the scar, it was also very red and it was raised and it sort of almost looked angry, at least to some people. I loved it. I was like, I paid for this. Like, yeah. I worked hard for this and I had no desire for it to be different. And I've just kind of let it be as it is. But I got so many comments, yep. all from trans people yep. that said, here's how to change your scar. Here's how to make it go away. Oh, did you know you can get surgery to remove the scar? Oh, did you know you could have laser treatment and here's all the oils and the whatevers. And it was it never stopped. And even now, I still get every Every once in a while, I'll get a comment about my scar or I'll get, you know, why does your scar look like that? You know, and I think at first it bothered me for a very short period of time. It bothered me, but very quickly I learned, oh, they want it to be this way because that's how they see me receiving love. And I, I felt a very similarly. So when you when you first explained this to me, and I was a couple months ago, you said that it, I, you receive it as love. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, but I also hear it even more than love. I hear it as an invitation to other trans people to love themselves just like perhaps you do. Mm. Um, so anyways, in, in that vein, I'm curious um, if you've had conversations with trans people, maybe one you could remember, um, where you sort of invited them into to more, I guess. Does that make sense? Like, like so they maybe said something like that and then yeah. like, getting them to think more about it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Like, how do you have those conversations? I mean, just last weekend I was at a party mm. um, and it was all trans people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I loved it, right? You know, and this girl was talking to me for t- about probably like 10, 15 minutes. We'd mm-hmm, never mm-hmm. met before, but we started mm-hmm. talking. Get to know each other, what we do for work and where we live. Mm-hmm. 
And she just kind of stops the conversation. She goes, can I just ask a question? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she's like, why do you have the beard? Hmm. Like, you'd look so much better without the beard. And I just told her, well, this is just what makes me feel like me. Mm. You know, I like it. Mm. That's that's just all there is to it. Mm. Um, and she, it got her just like, I saw her like the cogs were, <laughs> you know, moving and stuff too. And uh, I, I kind of just got her to start thinking about and start talking about maybe the ways that she felt like she had to express herself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she started talking to me about her hormone journey and about Mm. different surgeries she was pursuing and all of it informed by what other trans people had been telling her to do. Mm -hmm. And so I just got her to, you know, slow down a little bit and be like, okay, like if you want to do that, that's great. But Mm -hmm. know too that you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of trans and non-binary people were uh, creating our journey of our transition Mm -hmm. based on scripts based Mm -hmm. on blueprints Mm -hmm. based on whatever it is that we've seen Mm -hmm. from other trans and non-binary people because Mm -hmm. we're all figuring it out right now but Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's so confusing and gender so expansive i think that a lot of us end up just looking to okay who's done something like this before and i'm going to go down that same route or Mm -hmm. i'm going to do this and Mm so for a lot of trans and non-binary people i think that transition is in their head supposed to look a certain way. Right, right. You go through certain medical procedures, mm-hmm. hormone surgeries, whatever that be. You have to socially transition in a certain way, mm-hmm. um, legally transition in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you do all those things and you've transitioned successfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to remind people that like, you don't have to do any of those things mm-hmm. and you can do some of those things. Mm-hmm. You can do something completely different mm-hmm. and still be valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. We'll be right back with Dear Skylar in a minute. I hope that you're loving the show. For more of my work, check out my book, He, She, They, How We Talk About Gender and Why It Matters. It's on sale for pre-order right now. And if you order before it's released on October 17th, you'll get a free special gift. Learn more at hstbook.com slash pre-order. That's hstbook.com slash pre-order. I hope you love it. I, I love that mission and I think you do it so well. And I think I think one, the reason I started this conversation with asking about what, what I would consider more superficial, right? just like how you look, is that it is the first thing that people see. And it's something that, you know, I think is perhaps undeniable in some ways. If I want to disrupt, you know, personally, if I want to disrupt somebody's thinking about something, I don't necessarily present myself in a way mm. that is confusing if you will, the way the use that you use that word earlier. Um, and sometimes I want to, but it doesn't feel authentic to me, so I don't do it. Right. <laughs> but, but I, but I love that, that the way that you walk through the world is also inviting people to ask questions and, or not, you not necessarily ask questions of you, uh, you, you know. know, for them to hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they're not, you know, they can ask me questions if they pay me, you know, if they pay you. like that's in that, in that case, then they should ask you <laughs> questions and pay you. But what I mean is more ask, like it, it does invite questions when, when, when we walk through the worlds in, in ways that confuse people, I guess. And I want right. them to ask themselves questions if they want to ask then you they should pay you <laughs> right right you know I, I think we're we're all on that journey and like yeah. we talked about earlier too like you know i carry that transphobia within myself we mm-hmm. all carry that within ourselves within the community even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's important for us to do that work of unlearning it and i find that over the years as i've challenged my own transphobia mm-hmm as a trans and non-binary person, Mm -hmm, I've just mm -hmm. learned so much more about myself and been able to explore more of my identity Mm -hmm. and better understand myself too. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage everyone to do that work. Yeah. 
Um, so when you were asking too, just about experiences with um, what other people are telling me to do, mm-hmm. when I first started taking hormones back in 2017, mm-hmm. um, at, that, at that time I was still identifying as non-binary, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I started taking hormones and I was talking to people publicly about it within the community, they were all like, wow, you're finally a trans woman. Uh, so mm-hmm, you're finally choosing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just want to say out there too that you know, for non-binary people who are pursuing certain medical procedures or certain types of uh, transition mm-hmm. that might align with maybe more of a trans woman's or trans mm-hmm. man's type of transition, uh, that that's still valid. Mm-hmm. It's You're still non-binary. And it doesn't mean that you have changed your gender because of how you're transitioning. Yeah. When I've spoken with you about this before, one of the I, I had asked you, I think, in a previous conversation, what's the most common misconception that you receive? Mm. And you told me one of two things. One was that people perceive you as intersex, mm. which I thought was fascinating because intersex is not, I feel like, not a commonly known thing. Right. <laughs> but then, but then people assign it to you, and then that's the second one was that you people perceive you as a trans woman. Right. Um, and we talked a bit about that in terms of safety as well, and people mm. sort of assigning a category to you as you know a way to be safe in the world or a way to find belonging and um and i know that you you know well from what i understand you found belonging on your own Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'm curious you know how you've done that and if you could explain like just kind of muse on on how you found belonging without fitting this category and even sort of there's a category of non-binaryhood too that I know a lot of people feel stuck to in whatever androgyny means. And, right. and I think you've found your own sort of belonging. How how, how have you done that? Uh, well, okay. So, easy question. Easy question. <laughs> well, when it comes to like how people perceive me, you're right. People mm-hmm, box mm-hmm. me into being either intersex or a trans woman. I get she hurt a lot. Mm. But then I'm also asked if I'm a trans man mm. and if I'm transitioning, right? Fascinating. <laughs> right. So they think that I'm like, you know, like transitioning like you're on tea yeah, or something. I'm on tea or something like that. That's why I have a beard. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah. And then I love people's perceptions of us. Right. I just they, they go and they they do gymnastics. I actually got a comment on one of my posts recently where it was like, um, it's so cool that I can't tell what you were born as. And I was like, I I okay, thank you. It's so cool that <laughs> like, you're thinking what? about my genitals. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like it's just people always wanting to guess. Mm. People always wanting to box and categorize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's like a human instinct, I guess, or it's just human nature to want mm-hmm. to understand everyone's place in a way right. or what their role is or how they fit into their lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm here again, just to like exist as me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel like I fit into any categories mm-hmm. and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, when it comes to belonging though, over the years I've found that building community Mm. and finding a chosen family Mm -hmm. that maybe understands because they're also Mm non-binary or are just incredibly supportive and understanding has been really, really vital for me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think most of my friends at this time are actually trans women Mm -hmm. who have embraced my femininity, but Mm -hmm. understood that I'm also still Mm -hmm. Mm non-binary. And that's just been a beautiful relationship to build with them Mm -hmm. um, that I think also challenges my past experiences with trans women. Mm. So yeah, building community has been super helpful for me. And when it comes to belonging, I think that (sighs) we don't have a lot of representation of Mm. non-binary androgynous folks, Mm -hmm. I want to say, beyond being white, slender, and typically AFAB. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I think that it's really important for those of us who are non-binary, who are gender non-conforming in all different types of ways. And again, androgynous and gender non-conforming can look any different type of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, is to be visible mm-hmm. and to create mm-hmm. that representation, mm-hmm. to be the blueprint mm-hmm. for other people, mm-hmm. to know that they are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of all that, it's like I meet a lot of non-binary people who feel that they have to express themselves mm. in a binary way, right? Like right. just like I, what I went through, right? Right, and again, to be feel accepted. And a lot of them might even still express themselves um, in a way that aligns with their assigned at birth gender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the sense of like, I won't be able to have a partner, I won't mm-hmm, be able to mm-hmm. succeed, I won't be able to have jobs, I won't be able to have support for my family if mm-hmm. I do dress or express myself in any other way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all completely valid and mm-hmm. should be respected. And again, too, at the end of the day, we're just trying to survive and mm-hmm. possibly thrive in this world. Mm-hmm. And I also want to encourage non-binary people that if you want to try something different, if you mm-hmm. want to express yourself in a different way, if you've thought about pursuing those hormones, if you've thought about having that medical procedure, mm-hmm. explore it a bit more, mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. that, be curious about it. And if you need help and you need support or better understanding about that, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to other people <laughs> who are happy to share our journeys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think community is so, so vital. And I know for me has been absolutely life-saving. And I was just telling you before we, we started the recording that, that even this podcast doesn't feel, you know, so much like work because I get to just hang out with, with amazing community members like yourself. And yeah. that feels so healing, honestly. And like, I get to learn from community and I get to be with community. I get to create community. And I think that's the biggest privilege that this job, not just the podcast, but mm-hmm. you know, that the work that we do brings, cause it, it demands that we connect with, with community in order to do the work we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to go back to something you were when, going back to talking about beards. I, I, the focus is not the beard necessarily, but it's like what it, like, I love it. represents. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, one of my friends who's also a trans guy, or I guess, I don't know if we could consider what I want to be his friend, but his name's Alex. Um, he wrote a book. I think it's called like Alex's quest for a beard. Um, he's a trans guy. And I, he was one of the first YouTubers that I watched, uh, you know, figuring out that I was trans and he, um, it took him a long time to be able to access testosterone, even though he wanted it. And when he finally did, he was like, I'm going to grow a beard, you know? And I think that's not like a uncommon experience for a lot of trans guys. They really want to grow a beard. They're very yeah. excited about it. And some people do, and some people don't, and whatever. And as we know, it's genetics that, you know, have have the impact on that. I never thought of about facial hair. So like before my transition, I was like not at all focused on facial hair. I was also fairly confident at the time I was never going to grow a beard because my mom is Asian. She's East Asian specifically, and we're not a hairy group <laughs> for the most part. Um, and my dad doesn't even have that much facial hair. Like he doesn't grow a full beard either. Um, but I, I don't have a ton of facial hair, but I have way more than I expected. And so it's been an interesting journey. I will say shaving is a pain. So yes. unlike a unlike a logistical note, it makes sense why you wouldn't want to shave just because it's a pain in the butt. Uh, y- yes, that was also a factor for sure. <laughs> I mean, I hated shaving every day. It was yeah. terrible. It's um, exhausting and it's painful. Yes. And I felt like my beard was like always trying to peek through anyway. And I was just like, I, I felt like after a while, I was like, you know what? I think it's just, it wants to come out. Like, like mm. let it grow out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's really interesting. We have a beautiful beard now. Oh, thank it's you. red and brown. I love it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I think that um, for a lot of folks, there's certain maybe characteristics mm-hmm. that we 
look for in our medical transitions in particular mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to signify that we made it mm-hmm. or that like mm-hmm. we've achieved that gender expression. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of transmasculine guys, it's typically top surgery mm-hmm. and it's also facial hair. That's mm-hmm, what I hear a mm-hmm. lot of. For trans yeah. femmes, um, I think it's breast growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and hip growth mm-hmm. and just overall like softening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'll talk to some of my trans girls, you know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. friends that I have and uh, they'll be like, Addison, like you grew such like <laughs> your chest grew so much mm-hmm. on hormones mm-hmm, compared mm-hmm. to us. And it's mm-hmm. like, they're like, it's not fair. Like how did you <laughs> as a non-binary person get that? But we didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a funny thing. But yeah. yeah, we all have these signifiers for us that help validate who we are. Well, and, and I think... I think that one of the reasons that I, I have been so like focused on facial hair in this conversation, not only because your your beard is great, but it's also because I it, they are false signifiers to some degree yes. of gender, right? And yes. actually not to some degree, to a lot of degrees. Um, and one of the things I have experienced in my in my life, and I think you probably have a similar experience with this, is is especially cis men who will be upset that my beard as a trans person is either better or comparable to theirs. Yep. And it's so interesting to watch that disruption of their masculinity. We talk about fragile masculinity. Masculinity is so fragile. Yep. <laughs> um, and I've had men tell me like, "Well, you're like almost like more of a man than me," and mm. I'm like. First of all, this is not a spectrum. Like, you, if you identify as a man, then you're a man. We can just move on. We don't have to, like, map it as, like, oh, I'm more man than you are, mm-hmm. right, in that sense. I don't, I don't see man enough in that sense, and I don't want to. But, but there's, this, there's this, like, hierarchy that beards draw. Um, yeah. And then an insecurity that they incite, it seems. And I'm curious what your experience is with that, um, especially as somebody who presents much more femme than, than I do or, you know, than other people might um, with also a beard. Yeah, no, I, I get like cis guys telling me the same thing too, just being mm-hmm. like, wow, your beard is better than mine. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe that. Or It's so unfair. Um, it's, it's unfair. It's unfair, <laughs> right. right? That It's mm-hmm. that thing of like that you mm-hmm. don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. deserve mm-hmm. to have a body that is mm-hmm. seen as beautiful or attractive or have mm-hmm. certain characteristics. You don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. I deserve it, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes this, mm-hmm. this um, yeah, like you're saying that fragile masculinity or fag- fragile femininity and sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll have, again, like, you know, girls coming up to me, cis girls being mm-hmm. just like, it's not fair that you have like, that chest. It's mm-hmm. not fair that you have like whatever that body and stuff mm-hmm. too, or that my hair is also talked about a lot too. Mm-hmm. They're like, you have such nice hair. It's not fair. You do have nice hair. I do. And it is fair. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I deserved it. Huh. You know what? <laughs> well, you know what? It begs the question for me um, about what, what is deserving? What is in, mm. like? Who is entitled to what? Because when we're talking about this, we're, t- we're we're talking about access to what people have considered gendered traits. But we could also just call them traits. And if we do that, let's move away from trying to gender them. Even if we just just say who has who deserves access to mm. facial hair? Who deserves access to nice hair? What is also nice hair? What is nice hair? Um, who deserves access to boobs, to hips, to butts, to what? Like who? You know. And when I think about that, um, this is going to sound irrelevant for a second, but bear with me. Go for it. My at my college graduation, our dean, Dean Karana, said he, he he this was it was so well done. It's the whole Harvard graduating class, and he says to us, "None of you deserve to be here." That was like one of his opening lines. Love it. And he was like, "What does that mean?" And 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 the the speech I'm going to paraphrase, but the speech basically said nobody deserves or doesn't deserve to be here. There are probably people who technically deserve to be here more than you. Oof. They just didn't have the access. They didn't just have the privilege. It was a, it was an amazing speech. I wish I could like bottle up and give it to everybody. Very humbling. Very humbling. And. 
I was, I was, I was living for it because I, I, I just was like, this is what I tell people all the time. Like, right. not, not those exact words, but the concept of like, who, who the heck deserves what? Like, this is a, this is a game of privilege and access and luck. It is not a game of deserving. Yes. So when we think about gendered traits, it's a, it's a game of luck in many ways, and then also privilege and access to hormones, access to cosmetic treatments, access to, I don't know, I mean, nice hair has a lot of things attached to it. White supremacy is part of it. Yep. <laughs> um, but also like being able to shower, being able to care for it, being able to, you know, all these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it doesn't mean we can't be proud. Like I'm proud of my graduating oh. from Harvard and from going there. But also, it's privilege, right? So I, I just would love to hear your thoughts on. Well, that. I mean, I haven't. I don't think that I would be able to personally express myself the way that I express myself. Mm-hmm. I've been able to pursue the hormones that I've pursued, have mm-hmm. the surgeries that I've had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if I wasn't here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a big thing for me. Sure, I do think about people in other states where currently and historically they've mm-hmm. been denied healthcare access or mm-hmm. gender affirming surgeries. Um, or just even support sometimes too, and so I'm I'm think that it's a lot of privilege to be here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and also to be someone who's so connected to the community that I know mm-hmm. where to get my resources mm-hmm. to, like mm-hmm. who to go to, who to talk to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's gatekeeping, mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that also goes back to the point of that every trans and non-binary person is valid on their own. Mm -hmm. They don't have to medically, socially, or legally transition Mm -hmm. in order to be valid because of accessibility, Mm -hmm. because of choice. Mm. And I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that when it comes time for some trans people who've been able to access everything that they want and who are horrible people, even to our own community, mm, right? I know who you're thinking about. Right? You know, there's multiple people that I'm thinking about. Oh, that's true. Um, I think that, like, I might initially think, like, oh, they didn't deserve it because of their mm. of their politics or whatever they're saying about the community. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, at the end of the day, we, all trans and non-binary people deserve access to whatever we need for our own gender-affirming process mm-hmm. or transition. Mm-hmm. Um it is what it is. I think it, it's also situated in, and this is a topic I've been, I've been really like thinking a lot about, which is like the the removal of access to your own body, mm. right? And and sort of this removal of body autonomy, whether we talk about trans people, queer people, people with uteruses, black people, indigenous, whatever, we can go to any marginalized group and talk about the removal of like connection to your own body, groundedness in your own body. And then I'm thinking about what you, what you were saying about like, and we we're talking about cis men or anybody really saying it's unfair, right? Right? Okay. And what I hear is they feel entitled to these characteristics, specifically physically, right? Beards or hips or boobs or whatever. They feel entitled to these characteristics that say, oh, these are for me and they're not for anybody else. But the reality is like genetics decides who they're for. And again, privilege of access to whatever. But at the core, it is it is genetics. And, and, then, and then what, right? Then what do we do with it if you actually aren't entitled to it because mm. your genetics didn't decide right, that you're going to grow this beard or that have those boobs or you know whatever well so it goes back to this binary thinking that you know sex and gender are both binary right, right. genetics are going to be binary as well right that's all rooted in white racist colonialist you know <laughs> kind of thinking yeah so i think that people really need to unlearn that including cis people and you're right. totally right cis people think that they they it's not that sometimes they even deserve it is that they need it Mm. they need it in order to for them to be seen Mm -hmm. as valid Mm -hmm. in their own gender identities because 
I mean, I don't know, growing up, like, I felt like a lot of girls, you know, even way before I was coming out as trans or non-binary, I would notice that, like, guys would always be policing each other's genders. Yep. Girls are always policing each other's genders. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this whole thing about, like, I need to prove myself to my peers. I need to prove myself to my family. I need to prove myself to the world about my gender identity. So I need to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And so when we see trans people like who are transitioning and maybe in a ways too that are quote unquote successful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, cis people see this and go, damn, like, like they did that, mm. you know, but I can't and mm-hmm. stuff too. This mm-hmm. is just, it's, it just speaks to their, like we talked about earlier, that fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate too, because I think at the end of the day, like we can support each other. And again, like you said earlier too, um, as we recognize that transphobia affects everyone, mm-hmm. that cis, cis people too would really benefit from mm-hmm. understanding that their gender identities aren't based on certain characteristics, mm-hmm. aren't based mm-hmm. on having to perform a certain way, mm-hmm. that they can just exist in their mm-hmm. own bodies with their own genetics, with their own whatever, <laughs> and still be valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And find belonging. And I think that's why I asked you about belonging earlier is because I think my observation is that cis people who police each other's you know, gender expression or clothing or what have you are usually doing so because they they think that's the ticket to belonging. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of it's honestly kind of similar to how a tra- if a trans woman tells you, oh, you'd look better without a beard, mm-hmm. or if a trans person is telling me that I need to fix my scar or whatever, it's it's out of some kind of love and. I don't know if I want to say that like toxic masculinity is out of love, but I think it is rooted in love. I think it is it is a desire to be loved and it is a desire to to find love, right? To be loved. Yeah. Totally right. Yeah. And And it's saying that like if if you do this about yourself too, then I can feel good about my decisions too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I I I totally understand. Um I think that for belonging for me too, it's also not necessarily something that I find in the present. Mm. I find it through learning about history Mm. and realizing too that trans and non-binary people have existed throughout history. Mm -hmm. Also too that cis people have expressed their genders completely differently over the years. I even think too about how boys used to be assigned the color pink and Mm -hmm, girls mm -hmm. were assigned the color blue, Mm -hmm. you know, and historically we've seen men in different types of like type of dresses Mm -hmm, in a way mm -hmm, or robes. mm -hmm. Um, Makeup, wigs, heels. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I think that if we look at that history, we'll realize too that again, even the binary gender Mm -hmm. hasn't been expressed in the same way that we see it today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's sometimes even more openness and diversity in the past. It's really interesting. I think it's, I think you're so right. I love that you brought that up because whenever, you know, we've got certain, we don't need to name names, but we've got certain public figures that are tearing down quote men in dresses, Mm. you know, and when I'm talking about men in dresses, we're not talking about, this is not the transphobic comment men in dresses, although it's also transphobic, but I mean, literally like, you know, Harry Styles in dresses or other, you know, men who are publicly wearing feminine quote-unquote clothing right and then we've got public figures that are super angry about this like bring back manly men right right um and then i that's what they were told growing up right and it's what they were told for men it's what they were told they were supposed to be like and for women it's they were told that's what they need to aspire to you know 
be loved by. Mm. Um, and, and I, I have, it's not, it's not very hard to do a little bit of research of like traditional clothing in, you know, this culture or that culture. And actually many of them have men wearing what would be considered a dress these days. Yeah. Right. And many of them also wearing makeup. Like you don't even have to go that back that far. Like people think, Oh, you know, the Pharaohs in ancient Egypt wore you know, skirts and makeup. Yes, they did. But you can just go back, you know, maybe a couple hundred years and look at like, you know, old white men. <laughs> Correct. I think that, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's really important for us to understand the history of how gender expression has been mm-hmm, in other cultures. Mm-hmm. Talking to these white supremacists, <laughs> transphobes, um, about other cultures and how they've expressed it mm-hmm. only strengthens their perspective mm-hmm. on why they're doing this too, because mm-hmm. they're racist, mm-hmm. right? They don't give a shit about like mm-hmm. what other cultures have done because they're mm-hmm. actually fighting those cultures, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they want everyone to conform. So it's, it's interesting what information they will listen to and what they don't care about or what they're actually against as well. Right, right. Um, And I think it all ties back into, like, again, seeing how transphobia and racism and classism, all all these different isms Mm -hmm. tie together. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that in, like, even schools in Florida and across the state trying to get rid of, like, a critical race theory Mm -hmm. classes and education. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that would also include talking about queer and trans communities Mm -hmm. in other cultures and here in the United States even. Um, It's, it's all tied together. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate. Um, So when you're talking about like the whole men in dresses thing, Mm -hmm. it's been interesting to, on the political side, Mm -hmm. right. Trying to ban drag, trying to ban Mm -hmm. trans people really from existing Mm -hmm. trying to ban gender nonconformity. And we've seen that in history in the United States too, right. With like literally criminalization of wearing certain types of clothing right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if it didn't match your id then you would be thrown in jail there actually was an ordinance in 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 chicago that actually still has not technically been removed it was called a, a, the zipper ordinance where women's zippers quote women's zippers were on the the back because somebody had to dress them whereas men even the ones who are rich would dress themselves and so their zippers were on the front and so there was a bunch of like it was common for lesbian women to wear dresses uh sorry to wear pants with the zippers in the front like men they wanted to whatever and that was illegal to do and so police would raid the lesbian bars and then they would run out in the back to flip around their pants so they could put the zipper in the back and prove that they were wearing women's pants anyways just a just you know an interruption of there is those ordinances those you know orders to reduce or eliminate drag are deep yeah, the police and politicians really have their priorities straight, right? You know, they've always had them <laughs> oh straight God. for years. Yes, always straight, focusing on which side of your pants your zipper yeah. goes. Or right now, too, with all this gun violence, it's no, 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 it's trans people yep, that trans we need to focus people. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, or banning TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ha- you kind of laugh at some point at these things. I mean, yeah, no. uh, reading the bills recently has just been. I mean, it's either absolutely devastating. I feel helpless. I feel tired. I feel angry. Or it's hilarious that this is what the solution. Like how how have they come up with this being the solution? And the answer is it's a distraction. It's all a distraction. But it's interesting because they're saying that you actually this TikTok ban stuff is um the created the most bipartisan kind of committee. Really? Uh, so it's been what's united mostly <laughs> Republicans and Democrats right now, which is really just fascinating. Right. Um. Anyway, um, the whole men addresses thing. Right. On the political side, we're seeing all that hate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But socially, it's been interesting being on like social media right now. And mm-hmm. right now, I'm seeing this trend. I've seen it for probably the past few months or a year of at weddings, 
having um, one of the groomsmen, I think that's what they're called, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's usually the best man, mm-hmm. will come out in a wedding dress what? and surprise the groom before the wedding. It's like a joke. It's like and, a cishet and it's joke. A, it's a cishet joke thing of, huh. it, because like before this, it was that um, there'd always sometimes be that moment before the wedding where mm-hmm. the bride and groom would reveal how they look to each other and they'd right, be crying right. and stuff too. And then they would go get married, right? Right, right. But now there's become, I think from that, this hilarious trend of having the best man or another groomsman come out in the wedding dress and surprise the groom and it'd be a hilarious thing where it's like, oh oh my gosh, I can't believe like this guy in a wedding dress, you know, Mm -hmm, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. And I'm just thinking about how like little things like that just reiterate this idea to that um, we're supposed to present a certain way and Mm -hmm. gender nonconformity or trans expression, whatever that be, is a joke. Mm. And we've seen that also to reiterate it through other comedies and other film mm-hmm. and television shows over the years. I mean, just watch in Disclosure. I just want to put in that plug. Yes. I don't have to explain yes, everybody everything. watch Disclosure. Watch Disclosure. <laughs> um, and you'll understand, too, that it's been this ongoing narrative of, of mm-hmm. how people are supposed to respond mm-hmm. to gender nonconformity, mm-hmm. respond to transness. Mm-hmm. And mm. so that's what happens to me a lot too, actually. Mm-hmm. I walk down the street or I go places too. And if it's not people calling me um, different slurs, mm. um, it's people like breaking out into laughter. Mm. And I think that's actually really painful for me sometimes mm-hmm. is just to um, feel like I'm a joke to mm. people when I'm just trying to exist and mm-hmm. get my coffee. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I, being laughed at feels more painful in my, in my imagination and my experience when it have been laughed at than than being yelled a slur. I think the slurs are easy to roll off these days. I get, yeah. you know, we I, online I get I don't know they're so ubiquitous. It's old. You oh, know? I just say things just like you know it takes one to know one. You know, just like <laughs> you know things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that they're painless, and I don't want to dismiss them, but the laughter feels so like it, it, it feels like twisting that knife. It feels like such a erasure of humanity, and I'm curious what you do in those moments if you i mean i don't want to dig too deep into it if you don't want to talk about it but in those moments what do you do i mean over the years you just have to um just roll with it i Mm -hmm. guess like you Mm -hmm. said and um i don't know i think that for me i i just give myself again the context of why that person's probably Mm -hmm. laughing and the history of everything too and then i go to a place of like feeling sad for them that mm. maybe they've been laughed at themselves or mm. that they'll never be able to experience the joy of being free with like expression and gender mm-hmm. nonconformity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wonder too, if maybe that person or those, that group of people, maybe someone in that group will be, they, maybe they are trans or non-binary mm-hmm. and they're coming to a place where maybe eventually they'll come out. Mm. I mean, I think about my own journey as a, even as a kid, mm-hmm. um, I was very feminine and I would be teased on the playground a lot and mm. be called gay and be mm. called like a lot of terms, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And before I even knew myself, before I even knew what I was attracted to or who I was and stuff mm-hmm. too, I knew immediately that being called those things was a bad thing. So right, if right. I were to say like, I'm gay or whatever, or I'm this or that, not only am I, am I proving them right, but mm-hmm. I'm also that bad thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for me, I had a lot of homophobia, a lot of transphobia mm-hmm. internalized mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And I would even sometimes participate in bullying other mm-hmm. kids who mm-hmm. were also expressing themselves mm-hmm. in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so I see like that hurt, you know, causes hurt mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pain causes more pain. 
And so sometimes when people are saying horrible things to me or laughing at me or, you know, leaving anonymous comments on social media, you don't understand completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just take a moment to understand that maybe that person is just in a place of pain and hurt. Yeah. Now, with that understanding, that doesn't mean that our feelings mm. should be just put to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or that we aren't allowed to feel something beyond mm you know, just um, well, joy or happiness or forgiveness and mm-hmm, stuff too. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be fucking angry. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be hurt and mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to want to do something about it too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I just want to validate that as well because yeah. I felt like for a long time, part of that respectability politics was that for us as trans and non-binary people, especially those who are so public, mm-hmm. uh, we have to perform it a certain way. Mm-hmm. We always have to be happy mm-hmm. and put together and mm-hmm. polite. Mm-hmm. And when someone says something horrible to us, we just go, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to be angry. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be human. We'll be right back with Dear Skylar in a minute. I hope that you're loving the show and wanted to remind you that my book, He, She, They, How We Talk About Gender and Why It Matters will be out on October 17th and I'll be going on tour and might be coming to your city, Boston, New York, DC, Louisville, St. Louis, Seattle, Portland, Madison, and several others. Check out the full list at hstbook.com slash tour. That's hstbook.com slash tour. I hope to see you on one of my stops. I mean, what struck me as you in the first half of you, you know, <laughs> explaining that is is the empathy that you have for these for these folks who um, who are so cruel in these moments. And I think you're right. I don't I don't disagree with anything you said. I think you're right. It, it often comes from pain. Sometimes it's coming from fear and the fear of like what it could mean for them to accept that there's more to themselves, right? More to you, more to yeah. the world. Um, I think it, it there is a disruption that's happening. Um, and I often like to say that like trans people, we're considered a threat. And in many ways, we are a threat, not in the ways they say we're a threat, but we do threaten these systems that have imprisoned everybody, right? These gendered systems. Um, So I I, I am, how do I say it? I resonate with the empathy, but I also am struck by the empathy. You're being laughed at. I'm I'm imagining on like a subway car, but you're not in New York. But anyways, you're being laughed at, maybe walk down the street, what have you. And, And in that moment, you have learned to find empathy for their pain. And I think the second half of what you said is so important as well, where somebody said this to me recently, they were actually a, a trans femme non-binary person as well. And they said, queer fury has to be felt. And I had never heard the sentence queer, or the it. phrase queer fury. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh my God, I need that one. I'm, I'm grabbing that one. I'm taking that one home. Let's go. <laughs> um, and, and I, and what they said was, you know, you need to lament, you need to be angry. It's, mm-hmm. this is an indignance that says I, um, I have this feeling and it's valid. Yeah. And it's something that I've thought a lot about. I never heard the term queer fury before, and I, I love it. <laughs> um, but but I have always sort of said that anger or thought to myself, my anger in these moments is is self-righteous in a way that says, I deserve to be treated better. Right. And and what would it mean for me to accept my anger as actually self-love? Right. And say, I'm angry because I love myself enough you to know it. that this is wrong. Yes. Right. I expect, I feel that you have a, a very strong self-love, but I also n- imagine that has been something you've cultivated and that has been hard. So A, do you feel that you have a strong self-love? And B, if so, or I guess regardless of your answer, um, what have, what has helped you sort of cultivate that? You know, 
Oof, you're, you open up a can of worms. So when it comes to self-love, I want to say it's a daily journey. Mm. There's some days where mm. I feel that, some days I don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I find that love is not something that you have. Mm-hmm. It's, some, it's, a, it's a verb, it's an action, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you have to intentionally put in the work for, just like with yourself or mm-hmm. with any relationship. Mm-hmm. Love requires work mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. conscious about it mm-hmm. and being aware of it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that in my anger has sometimes come, mm-hmm. you know, the most beautiful moments of mm-hmm. self-love like you've talked about. Mm-hmm. And part of loving ourselves means allowing ourselves to feel our feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't always have to react based on our feels, mm-hmm. right? Because Important distinction. <laughs> right. Because our feelings are something that we can't control, but mm-hmm. how we react, that, mm-hmm. that defines who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important... Um, for all trans and non-binary people to figure out what helps them love themselves more mm. uh, because we all deserve it. Mm-hmm. We don't have to put aside our emotions just to people please and trying to just, you know, whatever that be. Mm-hmm. But I also mm-hmm. understand too that for a lot of trans and non-binary people, they sometimes have to do that. And I've done that before out of survival, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of just trying to access resources, trying mm-hmm. to be respected. Mm-hmm. Um so it's 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 hard it's yeah. hard i think that's it's i want to say it's a privilege right now for me be, to mm. be able to be in a place where i'm allowed to just feel my feels mm. and react however i want to react and know that i still have support mm. i still have resources mm. i still have safety mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all that aspect i i love what you said about self-love being a daily practice and i think i think that's something that we miss where like people consider love a feeling you know Mm -hmm. and i think it can be a feeling sure but i think that feeling is honestly irrelevant unless it drives action Mm -hmm. and i think about this with like a loving partner right like i've had people say to me um partners actually isn't you don't have to be partner anybody i've had people say to me like i love you and then they don't act in accordance with that statement Mm -hmm. and they might feel it and i'm not going to tell them how they feel i can't be like you don't feel it you love me whatever they feel what they feel but if that doesn't translate into an action that is loving then what does it who cares you Mm. know um so i hear you talking about love for ourselves in the same way that says actually you need to continuously love on yourself right and give yourself actions that are that are loving in order to continue i guess holding self-love yeah um that also you were you were as you're talking about you sort of talked about safety as well and and mm-hmm. the kind of the the line and I, I think it's a this is a very like difficult tense line that is between being authentic and and being safe um, and I know that you know for for listeners who don't know this trans femme folks are the folks that that experience the most violence the most murders the most all that kind of stuff in our in our country especially trans femme of color um, and I think that. First, it's important for us to know that. The second thing is that from from that, there, there's there's a reason for that. A lot about it, a lot about it is due to visibility, and then the question of safety. Mm-hmm. And every day you get up and you dress yourself and you figure out how you're going to walk through the world. Maybe you don't leave your house every single day, but the days that you do, I'm I'm imagining there's a, there's a conversation about safety that's going on, and I'm curious what that conversation sounds like, um, and how you navigate that to choose sometimes maybe more authenticity and sometimes more safety. It comes down to, do I have my own back? Mm. Because, it, it, you know, when I go into the world, I can't control what other people are going to do. Sure. So I can't anticipate, I can't expect mm. everyone to treat me with kindness and respect. Mm-hmm. I can't also expect that I'm going to experience, like, a lot of harm, too. Mm. I don't know what people are going to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
but do I have my own back? Mm. Will I be able to stand up for myself in those Mm -hmm. moments? Will I be able to brush it off Mm -hmm. and not let it control my day or take over Mm -hmm. my emotions, my Mm -hmm. my feelings, my my reactions? So that's where it starts with me. It's Mm -hmm. like, today, do I have my own back? Mm -hmm. Today, Mm -hmm. am I loving myself? Mm -hmm. Today, do I want to see myself in the mirror and Mm -hmm. navigate this world Mm -hmm. that way? And some days I I say no. Mm. And some days I say yes. Mm. And it's it's a journey where I'm trying to get more and more to just always Mm. have my back. but it's also a journey. It's okay. We have ups and downs, just like in a relationship with a partner too. Yeah. There's some days where maybe you're a bit more loving on some days <laughs> than you are other days, right? Right. Um, it's just a journey and it's about commitment mm. and about being conscious about it and aware. Mm. Um, so yeah, for, for me, I, I my on days where I don't always have my own back, um, my dress down, which mm. means for me is like wearing bigger like bigger mm-hmm. clothing mm-hmm. um more layers mm-hmm. um you know maybe not wearing makeup mm-hmm. whatever it be like just mm-hmm. trying to not maybe bring attention quote unquote mm-hmm. bring attention mm-hmm. to myself um and then other days i'm dressing up i'm wearing the most stylish things like mm-hmm. i've got a great closet that and I know. <laughs> and i'll put on seeing some, you online <laughs> yeah so i'll put on some fabulous things and mm. i'll just walk my dog around the block you know mm. just just because i'm like mm. this is me i love that image of you walking around with the dog and then just dressing fabulously i think that's perfect <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i i think it's just uh it's a daily thing like you said mm-hmm. uh, for me my self-love has been rooted in also self-care, which has included mm. just like doing a lot of meditation, mm-hmm. journaling. Mm. Um, I also do yoga, mm. uh, work out as much as I can. And I'm also trying to do a lot of hobbies mm. that speak to interests from my childhood. Oh, I love that so much. And I think it's really important for us all to think about mm. what are the, the mm. passions, the mm. interests, the curiosities we had as kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before the world kind of like mm. corrupted us in a way, if you mm-hmm, want to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to think about what are those things that you've always wanted to do with your life and maybe try it out now and yeah. nourish that inner child. Mm. So for me, that's included violin lessons. Mm. That's included pottery. I've been taking dance classes again. So just small things to nourish ourselves and to remind ourselves also too that we're not just trans and non-binary mm. people. I think that happens a lot too, is that yeah. we feel like we're reduced down to an image mm-hmm. or reduced mm-hmm. down to one thing mm-hmm. um, in our lives by the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. within ourselves, we do that too to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. say like, this is all that I am. Right. So for me to nourish all different parts of me, what makes Addison beyond being non-binary mm-hmm. um, has been so healing as well. Yeah. I, that, I think that's so empowering and beautiful and at the same time simple. And I don't mean that to reduce its value. I mean, like yeah. it is a simple thing that I yeah. think we can all do is wonder like, what is that one passion that we, you know, put away as a kid because somebody told us to, you know, or cause other things got in the way. Um, and I, I love that you use the word hobbies because that is something that, you know, I'll just in my personal life, I've been trying so hard to find what are my hobbies. And I love the invitation to go back to like what I had in childhood because it's easy, especially I think not only being trans and queer period in the world, but then if you add the work that we do, which is somehow all about only being queer and trans, even though we know it's bigger than that, we it's easy to get pigeonholed and, and, and just kind of get lost in that work. And um, 
people always ask me what my hobbies are and I can never answer the question because I'm always doing work. <laughs> right. Um, and so I love the invitation. I think anybody should take that invitation to invest in hobbies. Right. And you don't need to also monetize everything either. Yes. Like, I think it's just, I, I understand people are trying to hustle and do what they got to do. Um, yes. And I also encourage just having one thing just for yourself that you don't yeah. monetize or maybe that you don't even tell anyone else that you're doing. Yeah. Just something yeah. just for you. Yeah. I think that's really important. I love that. I love that so yeah i i have learned to play guitar and i'm, I'm horrible at it um but <laughs> but this is good because i can't monetize it <laughs> and it's something that i really enjoyed doing and you can enjoy something and not be like you said yeah. good at it right yeah. you know like it's okay i think it's great actually it's something that's been really humbling for me and like fun and just like because honestly because i'm not good at it it's demanded that i just do it because i like it and for no other reason you got it um and i think that's been great um on the days, so you were talking about uh, different ways that you present yourself on days when you have more or less energy. And you said it comes down to, do you have your own back? And what I also heard as you talked about that was it's what capacity do you have mm. for other people's whatever, right? Other people's BS, other people's um, issues with themselves that they put onto you. Yeah. And that, that capacity question, I think that's such a great way to in, in, empower yourself. It's not about other people. Like you said, you can't control other people, but you can control yourself. And and this is, I think, what's messed up about a lot of self-care practices is self-care and boundary stuff is usually rigid. It, it's like, have a boundary, set the boundary. But what you're asking is actually flexible. It says, what am I capable of doing today? What do mm -hmm. I have the energy for today? And how will I adjust to be kind and nurturing and nourishing your word um, to where I am today? And I think that's yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah, it, it's um, a daily thing, mm -hmm. right? Again, mm -hmm. to like, we can set those boundaries or goals, you know, and set that for our entire lives moving forward. Mm -hmm. Or we can also say like, okay, today, what are my mm -hmm. intentions? Today, mm -hmm. what are my boundaries? Mm -hmm. Today, what do I need? Yeah. Today, what do I value? Yeah. And I think that's really important to do. And I don't see it necessarily as flexibility. It's just more about mm. just like continuous checking in. Mm. Okay. So not flexibility. What about, what about like adapting? Yeah. Oh, adaptability sounds yeah. right. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it sounds like actually maybe it's even deeper than that. It's, it's sort of intuitiveness. It's really listening to your body and listening to how you are sitting in yourself. I think about it as like, I had an eating disorder and when I was going through recovery, it wasn't about this is how much I have to eat. It was what do I need today, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was really asking myself, what am I hungry for and how much am I hungry for? And can I actually adjust as I go? Like have I, okay, I'm hungry for, you know, a bowl of rice and chicken or something, whatever salad bowl, chipotle bowl, can I actually adjust as I go? Am I full now? Do I need more? Is it different from the day before? Right. And it sounds like it's a very similar process that you're describing is like, what do I actually have the appetite for today? Yeah, the capacity, like you talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. You're totally right. Mm. Yeah. I love that as a tool. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like, I'm like really holding on to that one. I think it's great. I think that I think that it's something that anybody can kind of take from it. You don't have to be trans or queer or have something about you that other people have an issue with or whatever. No, actually, it's just for trans and non-binary people, <laughs> just, so, just for people who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I, but I, I think I'm so struck constantly when I talk to other trans and non-binary folks about how universal our ways of surviving actually are mm. and how we've been relegated to this category of other but all the ways that you're describing how you have survived the world are ways that i think anybody could use to to thrive right mm. or to dig into themselves more um and so on that note we do have to start to wrap up because i don't want to take your whole day We're good. um i'm curious um if you have like a sort of 
we're going to go back to the beard because <laughs> we started there. Um, I was describing your beard as beautiful. And mm. we were talking also about how beards could be considered masculine, how beards can be something that sort of decides one's gender for somebody else. Right. And I'm curious in a perfect world, how you would describe your beard and yourself and how you walk, you know, specifically what your beard means to you, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I know this is a really, not a really central question. But no, 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 no. This makes sense. Okay. Um, how do I describe my beard? Mm. Um, what it means to you. What it means to me. Um, I think my beard for me is, I mean, I could say like it's a sign of resistance. It's a sign of like, you know, just like uh, boldness mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, you know, because I understand the meaning that it has for other people. Mm. For me though, I just like my, I just like it. I don't know how to explain mm. it. Like it's soft, it's mm. full. Um, I like that, you know, how the light picks up like certain types of colors mm. in the beard too. Mm -hmm. um, I also like how it just blends in with my hair as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I That's all I can say. It's just, I like it and that's it. Um, I think it's a perfect answer. Yeah. There's, I'm going to say one more thing on this and you can, if you have any thoughts. So there's a book called How Far the Light Reaches and it's by Sabrina Imbler, um, who is a non-binary Chinese American mixed race um, author. And there's, they, they talk about, this is probably unnecessary amount of information, but I'm telling you anyways, um, their book is all about like, it's a vignette about marine life and then a vignette about their life. Cool. And this one chapter is about a, um, it's a it's a cuttlefish and the cuttlefish changes colors based on what's behind it mm. um and especially when it's frightened right when it's when it's attacked when it's you know camouflaging um it changes colors and the sabrina goes through all of these different um ways that it changes when it's frightened and then it's then then they they write something like I'm going to paraphrase, but yeah. they write something like, I am not interested in calling it camouflage. I want to know how the cuttlefish changes when it's not in fright, when it's not in, in, in opposition, when it's not in resistance. I'm interested to see how the cuttlefish changes and how the cuttlefish lives when it's in community, when it's about sex, when it's about joy. Right. And the quote is better how they say it, but it was such a beautiful way of saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to define things by resistance. Right. And the words that you then used bold being one of them, I'm sure some people might call it courageous or resilient or whatever. Brave. That's, Brave. Yeah. Yes. And it's not that you aren't those things. It's that what, what could we, what kind of space could we create for you and for anybody um, if it wasn't in opposition, right? Mm. And I and I and it, I, your answer was perfect because it was so simple. It was, well, I just like it, <laughs> and yeah. I think that's so powerful. If we could just let it be that, yeah. Um, so I think I just wanted to end on that because I I love that you shared it that way. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's just you like what you like. It can be that simple, mm. and leave it there. Don't feel like you have to explain yourself. Like yeah. I feel like I've had to explain my beard so much and. Mm. I just like it. Sorry. <laughs> Take it back. Don't apologize. I'm Canadian, so that's why I said it. <laughs> I I hear through your explanation of yourself this this like beautiful um, self loving as an act um, permission and permission to just be and every answer that you've given me seems to come back to this like I want to grant myself this permission to just be this to just like this to just maybe in this moment not show every part of myself as i go out into the world and i think that um 
I think that's 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 what I'm taking from this. I mean, there's lots that I've learned from you, but that's like a number one thing that I want to hold, which is this this like I don't actually have to explain, and I can just be here as I am. You got it. Thank Addison, you. thank you so much. Thank you, Skyler. I am so grateful for, for you and for your work. I'm so grateful the world has you. We need you. Mm-hmm. Um, and very grateful that you drove all this way to come here through the traffic. Uh, where can people find you? And what should people know about what's upcoming for you? Yeah. Oh, wow. You can find me on Instagram at BreakTheBinary. Um, you can also visit my website for more information about my services. That's www.BreakTheBinaryLLC.com. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, yeah, just check out my Instagram for updates on what I'm doing any events i'm going to and people can message me either um through my website or Mm -hmm. on instagram and i'm happy to respond i might not respond to every message (laughs) um and sometimes i might not have the right response i might connect you with someone else but yeah awesome anything else you want to add we may not deserve um certain characteristics or certain traits Mm. um but i think that everyone deserves kindness Mm. and respect Mm. and validation um, community and community I think that's really important we can't we don't thrive I think on our own I think that we thrive when we're connected mm-hmm. and reach out mm-hmm. I think that even for folks too who associate um, red states mm-hmm. with having no community mm-hmm. and blue mm-hmm. states with having so much community mm-hmm. um, I know here in California that it's really Los Angeles and San Francisco <laughs> that are only the quote unquote blue areas where mm-hmm. you're going to mm-hmm. find community mm-hmm. um, but even in all those different areas in between major cities Mm -hmm. um, in the South to in states where they're pushing for these anti-trans laws, Mm -hmm. there's still community. In Mm -hmm. fact, there's sometimes Mm -hmm. strong community there. And it's really, really important for us to recognize that, support Mm -hmm. those communities, Mm -hmm. and also to encourage people to reach out to those communities and connect Mm -hmm. them with them. Yeah. I think people forget that state governments are actually not all that representative of their constituents. No. Uh, and and many of the states are designed to not be representative of the constituents because of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really key that you that you name that. Thank you. Yeah, come on, redlining. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Yes, we do not have time for that one. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, Addison, thank you so much again for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. And I, I know people are going to gain a lot from this episode. Thank you, Skyler. So grateful that Addison was able to join us for this amazing conversation. So let's get right to the question. How do we find belonging without conforming? As Addison emphasized in this episode, there are so many different ways for people to be themselves, right? Different ways to be trans, different ways to be non-binary, different ways to have gender affirmation, to transition, to feel like ourselves. And I think one of the most salient things that Addison shared with us is how do we actually feel the most like ourselves? And that to me is actually a driving question that I've used in my transition and in my life is constantly asking myself, How do I feel more like myself? And what actions can I take that will align me with that goal of feeling more like myself? As we discussed, transphobia actually affects everyone. And Addison said this quote, and I want to really highlight it. Cis people too would really benefit from understanding that their gender identities aren't based on certain characteristics. This is to say that we all curb our own selves. We all try to define ourselves by these standardized essential rules that society has given us to say, this is how we define ourselves. And it's our jobs to actually take a step back from that and say, wait, Maybe these boxes don't define me. Maybe a piece of it feels good, but maybe the other piece of it doesn't. And how can we take what works and leave what doesn't? 
Another thing Addison helped us remember is about belonging not only being in the present. Addison said that they help themselves find belonging by looking at the past, digging into the ancestry that exists within trans and queer communities that we've always been here and how that can also remind us that we still belong now. Addison also spoke about how it's human nature to categorize other people, to try to understand another human's role. And I don't disagree with them, especially as somebody who has a background in psychology. We know that people try to categorize, that brains love to categorize. But the evolution for us here is can we also bring curiosity as we categorize, right? Even as a trans person myself, I find myself having a knee-jerk reaction to categorize other people. But can I insert some curiosity? Can I say, huh, why did I believe that this person was this gender or the other? Why did I have that assumption or that bias about this person? And that curiosity, I think, is us engaging our compassion and our humanity. Lastly, one of my favorite things that Addison reinforced for us is self-love is a daily journey. It's not something that we achieve one day and say, here I am at the top of Mount self-love, right? It is something that we constantly are nourishing. And Addison also brought something really important, which is the the other side of self-love, which is sometimes anger can act as self-love, right? A response of allowing ourselves to feel angry, upset, grieving, whatever that supposed negative emotion is, allowing that in is part of that daily journey to allow ourselves to be all of ourselves. In my life, other trans people are often the strongest, brightest, most powerful examples of what it means to belong without conforming. And so I hope that this episode brought you a bit of that strength, that warmth, that reminder of your own humanity so that maybe it might help you find the ability to belong without needing to conform as well. Lots of love. See you next week on Dear Skylar. What do you think of today's answer? Send me your thoughts or any question you would like to ask me by going to dearskylar.com. You can send me a message via text or even better, a voice message. Dear Skylar was written and hosted by me, Skylar Baylor, for Diversion Audio. Our producer is Antonio Enriquez and supervising producer is Mark Francis. Guest booking by Anthony Lopez and Keith Lowry with assistance from Corey Michibata. Our head of development is Jacob Bronstein with Emma DeMuth. Custom music by Tyler Cash. Our head of marketing is Nisha Gopalan. Executive producers for Diversion Audio are Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, Susan Canavan, and Scott Waxman. Diversion Audio.